This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And how are we doing, Tampa Bay? It's a Monday. We will take you through the weekend. In fact, we'll do things a little bit differently on the hour today. Normally on a Monday, it's two full half-hour airings of Bulls Beat. And then later on, we give you a 15-minute version of Around the American. Well, with what happened over the weekend, first of all, there wasn't a ton of events that we had play-by-play for. In fact, just the one with football. And, well, you know what happened with football. We'll talk about it. We'll give you some highlights. We'll give you some Jeff Scott. But not going to be a full half-hour show. And as far as the conference show goes, there really wasn't 15 minutes worth of material because there are only a few actual conference football games. However, there's definitely enough to give you about 10 minutes or so. So what we're going to do is we're going to do Two airings of Bulls beat, and then kind of what we do on Wednesday and Friday, we'll have Around the American at the end of the hour, and it'll be a little bit longer, about 10 minutes. And then later on today, once we get the Players of the Week, we'll tack that on and give you an extra airing of Around the American. You can always go now to the website, GoUSFBulls.com, to get our full daily schedule, and then we'll give you a peek ahead of what's coming on later in the week. GoUSFBulls.com, top of the page, hit the Fans tab. You'll see Bulls Unlimited, and it takes you not only to the page with our schedule, but a player for TuneIn, and you can just hit it and listen to the station, or of course you can get the TuneIn app on your phone and or on your desktop. We are going to start off with golf. Yes, we all know what happened with football, and we'll give you some highlights and some of Jeff Scott, but I want to start it off with a real positive event over the weekend. In fact, it wasn't a win, but it felt like it for the women's golf team. They were in Virginia Beach at the E.V. Odom Invitational. And, of course, as you know, the effects of Hurricane Ian stretched up into the Carolinas and Virginia, at least from a wind perspective. This was supposed to be a Friday through Sunday event. They moved up the first round to Thursday just to hope to get something in, and they almost finished the first round. And then, of course, Friday was the day where nothing took place. Saturday and Sunday, the weather was great. Well, the scores kind of reflected it. The first round had the Bulls at 19 over par, and they were right in the middle of the pack. 19 over was pretty good. The leader, for example, Princeton, which ended up finishing in eighth place, was 10 over par on that first round. That was as good as anyone did. In the first round for the Bulls, you had, again, what was a really good score of 3 over par, Alize Vidal, and that included a triple bogey on her third hole, but she followed that up with two birdies and closed out with a three over par. Juliana Camargo went four over for that round. Melanie Green finished five over, and then you had a couple of bulls at seven over par. Actually, Emma Kim, the freshman from South Korea, shot a two over par, which would have been the bulls best score, but she was playing as an individual, so you cannot count that score. So it had that feeling of, oh, what could have been, but also understanding no matter what the scores were not going to be that pretty. Then Friday was a washout or a wind out. Saturday, things improved dramatically. The Bulls went from a 19 over par team score to right on par at 280 for the four players. The best score, and it was one that got her into contention for the individual championship, was Melanie Green. We told you that the previous weekend they were without their top player due to illness. The Bulls struggled in that event. She shot a four under par 66. She was joined at one under par by Lauren Heinlein, the transfer from Kansas, bogeyed her first two holes, did not bogey another, finished with three birdies, and the rest were pars. Also, again, at even par was Emma Kim, but 
it wasn't counting for the team score because she was competing as an individual. She actually finished this thing tied for 33rd, which in the end would have had her tied for being the fourth best bull. We'll tell you what the final scores were after we finish up our recap. But in the Saturday occurrences, she actually had the third best bull score, but not far behind her and helping the bulls team score in this case was Vidal with a one over par 71. And then two bulls both shot four over, so each of their scores counted. The scoring again in golf, you send six players to an event, you pick your starting five, and the other one gets to play as an individual. In this case, Emma Kim. And four of your five scores actually count. So you get to drop your worst score. In this case, the Bulls' worst score was two between Camargo and Leo Medeiros, both at four over par. Then what about round three on Sunday? The Bulls entered right in the middle of the pack, seventh out of 15th, but really not out of the running for a top five finish. And if they could really turn it on, maybe even better than that. Well, they really turned it on to the tune of the best score in school history. 273, which was seven under par. They finish in third place at the end. They needed a couple of birdies at the very end to jump ahead of Sacramento State, which indeed happened, so they finished in third place. And that was really, if you look at it, as good as they could have done because Minnesota was seven shots ahead of them, and College of Charleston hung on for a three over par. Honestly, if Minnesota didn't completely go off, the Bulls would have finished in second place, but Minnesota was 17 under par for the final round. The Bulls, seven under par, again, a school record 273, was the second best score, and it ended up being good for a third overall finish. Helped by a couple of career best scores, starting off with MG, Melanie Green, five under 65. She started on the seventh hole. She would proceed to have no bogeys on the day, birdied the 13th and the 16th. So she had a pretty good round going, but with six holes left, she was sitting on two under par. Well, she birdied the actual first hole, the third, and then her final hole, the sixth, the par five, to finish at four under par. That was good for fourth place overall. The winner was Emma Schimpf of College of Charleston. She shot a nine under, and College of Charleston, by the way, was the winner at three over par as a team score. That birdie put her out of a tie for fourth place, and all alone in fourth, one shot behind Indiana's Alex Florio. And again, the birdie gave her her career best score of five under par. Also turning in a career best was Leo Medeiros, the third-year player from Portugal, a three under 67. She began on the 10th hole, birdied the 13th, the 17th, and then one more on the front nine of the course, which was her back nine. Then coming in at two under par was Heinlein. She is from Ocala's Forest High School and again started off her career her first four years at Kansas. She was two under par, had four birdies and two bogeys. And then two more golfers came in at three over, Juliana Camargo, Columbia, Alize Vidal, transfer from Kennesaw State, but originally from France, so a very international roster. They were both at three over par. Heinlein's score got her to four over for the event, which had her tied for 14th. Then it was in the overall standings, Vidal tied for 28th at seven over par. Maderos shoots to tied for 33rd at eight over par. And Camargo ended up sneaking into the top 50, tied for 50 at 11 over. And incidentally, Maderos with that three under round shot up 21 spots on the individual leaderboard. And that's how you, of course, help not only set a program record, but end up third overall. Ironically, Kim, who was top 10, which is kind of one of those positives and negatives, right? If you have your player that's not counting towards your team score, finish 
well individually, that's okay. You don't want him to finish too well. You don't want him to be the best finisher on your team. And she was actually outside of Melanie Green, who came into the final round at sixth place, the second best bull at 10 under par, but her 76 on the final day sent her outside of the top 30. But either way, a great team and one that we'll be having a chance to speak to soon. Great stuff from Erica Brennan on GoUSFBulls.com about the adversity the team faced. Remember, they stayed on the road. They were already on the road from their previous event, so they were away for 12 days. And we look forward when Coach Brennan gets back home to speaking with her and eventually, well, basically the entire team. I know I wanted to talk to the two transfers because I haven't even had a chance to meet them yet, but stay tuned for more women's golf on this show. We'll get to football in a second. We'll also tell you the men's team is in River Hills, Wisconsin, after one plus round of the Marquette Intercollegiate. The second round was suspended by darkness. They tried to get in 36 holes on a Sunday and almost did. So they'll finish it up on Monday. The Bulls are in the running. Fourth place, 11 over par after an 8 over first round. The Bulls late in their second round were at 3 over. When I say late, one player has to finish, and that is top player Jake Peacock. He and Shuby Jaglon are both at 2 over par through, again, almost two rounds. That has them tied for 13th, but due to a consistent lineup, the Bulls are, again, overall tied for 4th, entering Monday 11 over par. Northwestern is at 7 over. Host Marquette and Iowa State at 8 over. Auburn is right behind the Bulls, so they definitely have a chance in this thing. First round, Jogalon actually was under par, 1 under 69. Two Bulls went 2 over, run Yupreyong and Peacock, and then Sam Nicholson's score of 75 completed it. And then as Nicholson bettered himself to a 1 over in the second round, again, the all of them played 36 holes, but Peacock on Sunday. Nino Palmquist came through with a one under after a 10 over score. So that was a big time turnaround for the team. That was needed because Yupreyong suffered a six over par round. Jogalon was three over and Peacock sitting at even par with three holes to go. So the ultimate so the ultimate sign of depth, as the Bulls do not have anyone individually in the top ten, yet their team is in fourth place out of 15. No other American Athletic Conference schools competing in this event, should I mention, on the women's side, East Carolina had a pretty nice showing as well, tied for sixth at 19 over par. Now, we did not do a show from Wednesday on, so we didn't get to fully recap the women's soccer win. We will tell you how important that was, and again, we will end the hour with Around the American and give you the full standings, as we'll do for men's soccer as well. Next, It was not a pretty Saturday outside of the fact that the game got in and it was a wonderful, welcoming situation at Florida Atlantic. The results in the field were not the best. 48-28 loss to East Carolina. Yes, they did, quote-unquote, win the second half. And we'll clear up that drama, by the way, because I know a lot of people saw Jeff Scott say that. And I put on Twitter, let's put it in context. And we'll do that here. You'll get to actually hear what it sounded like when he said it. He was not celebrating. And The Bulls certainly weren't. There were some positives, but not enough. And football is next on Bulls Beat. Back to the beat. Bulls Beat continues with Derek Sharp. Definitely want to give some love to our radio crew because, as you know, a lot of stuff was happening. If you listened to the broadcast, you knew that you were hearing a little bit much of the PA and the, you know, the music, the soundtrack to the stadium, a little bit more than normal because it was not exactly a great setup from an engineering angle, Brett Holcomb, who is in his first season, he's done a lot of work in the past for 
professional franchises. He does a great job, very thorough, and a former teacher there at UF. Well, he only had one crowd mic to deal with. Usually you have stuff down on the field. You have at least two crowd mics set up. Well, he had to sort of dangle his out. That's why you were catching a lot of not conversations from people, but more of the PA because there was no other crowd noise outside of the ambient noise coming from, you know, the microphones of Jim and Joey and Sam. And Joey had issues with his gear from the sidelines, so he ended up coming up into the booth. But they had to travel down there, and there were some issues. They kind of carpooled except for Sam Barrington, and there was a big block on 75 on Saturday. So Sam got to the game just in the nick of time but a lot of hard work put out this week by our guys. I also appreciate Jeff Scott and Michael Kelly for making themselves available not only to the media on Friday, but to record the football radio show. We went ahead and posted that. You can still go back to our Unlimited Unloaded. That's our pages where we unload the shows if you miss them the first time. That's on Spotify and SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts and Amazon Podcasts now. So we want you to listen to the shows when they air on Bulls Unlimited on TuneIn. But if you miss them or want to go back and catch them again, you can go just to any of those platforms. Type Unlimited Unloaded and subscribe to the page. Now, a couple of highlights, and not many. If you want to hear extended highlights of the game, of course, we replay the full game throughout the weekend. We probably won't replay this one much more. The show, upon further review, is going to be longer and, again, with many highlights if you want to listen to them in about a 30-minute block. But also, some of what Jim Lauk had to say, of course, he was there. It was definitely a unique situation. Unfortunately, the Bulls just are not doing well in the first half. They have been outscored, particularly in the first quarter, 66-7. Remember, they were blanked by Howard. The only points they scored was in the game that, you know, we thought was turning things around, the game in Gainesville where the Bulls put up the touchdown. However, again, they are down two scores leaving the first quarter. This time it was 14 to nothing, although much like the previous week against Louisville, the Bulls definitely should have scored in the first quarter, and it should have been a one-score game. That was the drop by Amarian Dollison. This was the sequence in the game where the Bulls definitely should have scored, even when the offense finally got it going. First two drives, three and out. Second drive was two completions that went backwards. Of course, on the other end, you had three third and seven conversions by East Carolina en route to its two scores. But the Bulls' offense started humming along until it fizzled. Bohannon keeper designed run, and he threads his way into the secondary. Bohannon with a couple of nice moves. He's going to get 20 out to the 47. That was quite a run. Bulls' best offensive play of the day, and they've got a first down. Pass to the left. It's caught by Weaver. He's one-on-one with the defender, and he's going to get a good gain into East Carolina territory. That'll be a first down. Four wide receivers. Far hash marked 42-yard line, first and 10. And Bohannon going to roll to the right. Throws. Got a man. It's caught. And that'll be a first down. It's Jimmy Horn. And he's down to the 26-yard line. So the Bulls' offense starting to move. Bulls have run off three consecutive first downs on their last three plays. Carter and Greenwald in motion. They're side-by-side, left side of the line. And Bohannon to throw again. Throwing long. Got Horn wide open. He makes the catch. His momentum carries him out of bounds at the six. There wasn't a defender anywhere near him. That goes for 21, and the Bulls have a first and goal. And, Jim, this is where we got to see Bohannon take a step forward because 
you can make a throw where your receiver may adjust a little bit, a, more, a, a throw that's a little more up the field. Instead, he led Horn toward the sideline when he had maybe 10 to 15 yards to spare before anybody touched him. So it was a good play, but it could have been better, and that's what I want to see from Bohannon. Here's Bohannon on a keeper, and he fumbles the ball. There's a scramble for it at the two, and we'll have to see who comes up with it. By now you know it was the other team. Now the offense would crank up with Jimmy Horn. We'll save the Jimmy Horn highlights until tomorrow's show because I have a strong feeling he is going to be on the weekly honor roll list for his phenomenal eight-catch, 180-yard, and two-score performance. But speaking of phenomenal performances, Holton Aylers, 465 yards passing, six touchdowns. The Bulls had never given up that many passing yards in a game in their history. Didn't seem like after a 297-yard first half that Aylers was going to threaten it because I figured they would just run the ball in the second half. It was 41-7. to But the Bulls could not have started off the second half better. In fact, a very frustrated halftime show where we were trying to figure out what could improve. And one thing I sort of left the air with on Bulls Unlimited was I don't want to hear about how they won the second half. The damage has already been done. Yet I was eager to be proven wrong because the Bulls could not have started off the second half better. A quick scoring drive. Horn gets the touchdown. A quick three and out. Another pretty quick scoring drive. And it's 41-21. to 21. But then a fourth down conversion followed by a touchdown for East Carolina. And the chance to come back and win was pretty much out the window, even though the Bulls again scored and could have made it a four-touchdown second half. Thanks to recovering a fumble, they took over at the ECU 35 with a little more than 13 minutes to go in a 20-point game. But after a good review on East Carolina's point, I thought Michael Dukes had scored. Turned out he didn't. The Bulls still had it first and goal at the two. And I thought the change around play, instead of having Bohannon sneak it, which he did for an earlier touchdown, they dropped him into the shotgun. He gets tackled at the two. And then on fourth down, a completion to Jimmy Horn, but he gets tackled at the one. So that was a little bit problematic because the Bulls, even if they did score on the Dukes' original what looked like a touchdown, it would have taken them five minutes to go 35 yards. And yeah, you're within two scores, but there's only eight minutes left in the game. One of the things that Coach Scott was asked about afterwards. We were trying to score on every play that we called. You know, I think that's, again, credit to East Carolina. They did a good job changing up their looks. We knew they were going to have a variety of things that they were doing. I mean, at the end of the day, we punched that ball in down there. We're down 13 with whatever it was, seven, eight minutes to go. And uh, we got got a shot. We got a two-possession game. But uh, we we were not intentionally uh, going slow. uh, But we felt like we needed to continue. We, we weren't in a two-minute mode at that point. You know, whatever it was, 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, uh, we felt like our best chance to move the ball uh, was to continue, uh, you know, mixing up the run in the pass. One thing that is definitely worth noting is even if the Bulls had scored, well, what happened on the next drive? East Carolina took over with six and a half minutes left at its one-yard line, and the Bulls could not get off the field. At the end, for some mysterious reason, when they could have taken a knee, the Pirates decided to go for a nice little short pass on third and five, got stopped for three yards. And those three yards, what do you know, gave Holt Nailers the exact number, which was the most yards thrown against the Bulls in a game ever. And if you're wondering, were they going for some sort of Pirates record? No, because he has thrown for 535 in his career, but he ended up with 465 in this game. So clearly, the defense was also a bit of a problem. Keep in mind that they're very banged up in the secondary 
with Dede Evans now out for a few games, and you really miss a guy like that. And they were without Antonio Greer as well. The slow starts, definitely a concern. 66-7, to as we mentioned in the first quarter, and basically insurmountable halftime leads in three of the games. And even though the Bulls looked like they were going to maybe pull off something miraculous on Saturday, you can't get behind 41-7. You know, obviously, if I, if I knew that answer, we'd have changed something before today. Uh, that is you know, something we got to go back and look at. You know, like, again, going back and looking at our prep, I think at the end of the day, we're not executing. It's not because guys aren't you know, looking where they're supposed to look or whatever. Bottom line, we're getting out executed in, in the first half. And, uh, and that starts with us as coaches. Uh, we got to obviously examine what we're doing with our guys to make sure we're, we're putting our guys in the best position for them to be successful. And then the guys got to, you know, go out and play. And, uh, so, again, that, that takes all of us. But, you know, there's no doubt through the first uh, few games uh, we, we have not done well in the first half. And then one more from Coach Scott, as promised, and as we tweeted about on Saturday. Listen, I get it. Frustration, no doubt. A lot of people, you know, want a new head coach. And so when the head coach you know, says for a second week in a row that, hey, we won the second half, people don't want to hear it. Well, people heard it, and it was on our post-game show as we had his Zoom call live. But as I said, there was some context to it. First of all, he did not mention anything about winning the second half in his opening statement or his next two answers. So here's exactly how it sounded live on our air on Saturday. Uh, the one positive is the way our guys played in the second half. I think we won the second half 21-7 to or whatever. Had a chance to be 28 uh, if we'd have finished right there. And uh, so, again, that says something maybe about uh, the guys continuing to fight. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're not coming here just to try to play better in the second half. We're coming to, to win games. And uh, we got to get the first half fixed uh, to, be able to, to uh, be, able, be able to do that. So there you go. All that I would ask is if that you're fired up. And, yes, you. I saw a lot of the same people who were tweeting that and then stopping it at the end of the first part of that statement and not giving the full context, were the same people on Sunday making sure everyone knew that other coaches like at Wisconsin and Colorado were losing their jobs. Next time, you know, give the full sentence. But listen, it's not good right now, and we'll hear more from Jeff Scott on Tuesday with his press conference at 1130. Before we wrap up the show, what definitely wanted to mention, even though it was back on Thursday night, we did not do a Bulls beat on Friday, just an enormous win for women's soccer, which was having some serious issues at the beginning of the season, was 3-6. and six and still is probably going to have to win the American Athletic Conference tournament because the overall record's not going to be great. But they now are in the running for the regular season title. Thanks to beating SMU on Thursday night, SMU in the top 25 and only lost once, had not been shut out all year in nine games, and the Bulls shut them out. Got a little help from the post as SMU rung one off the left post in the second half. Bulls led 1-0, and this is basically a shoe-on-the-other-foot type of game. We've seen teams get a lead on the Bulls and then hunker down defensively. Well, the Bulls are the team that's used to possessing the ball for the majority of the time. They got a fantastic goal from Kiara Hahn, her fourth of the year, third from outside the top of the box. It was a stunner, if you want to go back to my Twitter feed on Friday, I put out that highlight. It was remarkable. Then in the second half, out of respect for the opponent, you just want to try and hang on to the lead. The Bulls didn't do much at all offensively, and SMU had plenty of chances. Sidney Martinez had to make a great save, only had two saves all match, but on a nice turn by SMU, it was a one-on-one -on -one situation. She makes the stop. Bulls got outshot 10-7. But actually, more shots on goal, 4-2. to two. So that's been the issue for the Bulls all year long, getting more shots, but less shots on goal. It was just flipped around to the tune of a one nothing victory, and things could not have gone any better for the Bulls last Thursday 
We'll sum that up at the end of the hour in Around the American, but definitely want to mention that on Bulls Beat. Men's soccer was supposed to play on Friday night at Charlotte. Didn't get to make that trip, so they'll make that up late in the regular season. That is going to be a crazy final week. The Bulls will be on the road at UAB Wednesday. Wait until you hear on Around the American what the team picked to finish last in the league did over the weekend. And as you knew, volleyball was probably not going to be in action because it was supposed to be at home and Tulsa and Wichita could not get down here. We will let you know if and when and where those matches will be made up at because, again, you're asking those teams to come down. I don't know if they'll have sort of a combined weekend where they play both teams twice and if so, where that would be. And then, speaking of the where, these matches were supposed to be at the Yingling Center. Do they go back to the Corral, etc.? Stay tuned for more on that. That'll wrap up Bulls Beat on a Monday. I'm Derek Sharp.